Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. For this series, since I've just brought it down a little bit, <laughs> for this series, we're doing, uh, we're, we're looking at things that God never said. And, and the reason we are doing this is because it's really important that we examine what it is that we believe. A lot of us have very solid beliefs about, about God, but there's some things that I think have crept in, and they've crept in because of culture, because of movies that we watch, or because something your granny said to you, and you hold it dear to you, or it's something that has been repeated over and over again, and somehow it has crept into your life. And the problem with believing something that isn't true is that you'll begin to behave like it is, right? And so we've been looking at um, four different things that you've probably heard all of your life. Like the very first, the first week we looked at God wants you to be happy, right? You would do this because God wants you to be happy, right? But actually, God never said that. In fact, God delights in your happiness, but that's not his primary goal or his primary function for you. And then the second week we looked at this one. And tell me how many of you ever heard this. If you've heard this before, put your hand in the air. God will never give you more than you can handle. If you've heard it before, yeah, right, but God actually never said that. That's not true. God will never give you more than he can handle is the truth. And so we dove into the scriptures and we listened to that to find out what is it that God actually said about that. And then last week Tim was here and he, he did uh, covered the, it doesn't matter what you do as long as nobody gets hurt, right? Because we feel like, well, I can do this. It's not really hurting anybody. But we discussed how what we do does make a difference. It does impact the people around us. It does make a difference in our world. And so Tim shared that this week, and we're going to wrap the series up this week with something that I think is the most important belief that we've kind of indoctrinated in ourselves because we, we want to be, feel good, we want to love everybody around us, we want to be accepting, and, and those, are, those are not horrible qualities, but, but when it comes to what we believe, that's a dangerous thing, right? And so the, the phrase that we're going to look at today is that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Now, I don't even know what that means, right? I, I can't, I, as long as I'm sincere about it. So if I just say it with a smile on my face, does that make me sincere? Like, I'm not even sure what that means. But, but you meet people that say, well, I'm going to believe this because basically the reason they choose to believe something is because it's comfortable for them. This is, this is a comfortable theology. Theology is what we believe about God. I'm going to believe this about him today because it fits my desires. It fits the way that I want to live my life. It fits me, and so I'm going to make God into my image, something that's comfortable for me instead of how the, from the picture that the Bible has painted. And so we have this feel-good theology where we get to pick up and put down whatever's convenient for us in, in, in our lives right then. Like you, you've heard people say, well, you're a good person, so when you leave this earth, you'll go to heaven, right? You're a good person, you'll be in a better place when you depart because, you know, you're good to old ladies and you're, you're nice to little kids and, you know, you go to church and you put some money in the offering plate and that makes you a good place. I mean, God owes you a place in heaven because you're, you're well, you're a good person. Look, I'm going to tell you that I do funerals quite often because many of you don't know this. We actually launched our church in a funeral home. That's where we started. And, uh, and so I have a good relationship with them. And when they have families that come in that, 
the deceased was not connected to a church. They don't have a pastor in their life. They call other pastors in the Reynoldsburg area and say, hey, can you do a funeral? And I get those calls quite often. And I'm thankful for them because the people that they've left behind need ministering to and loving. So don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I love the opportunity to love on some people. And I take them quite as often as I can, I take them. But they'll, they'll call me, and one of the very first questions I ask them is, did they know Jesus? Was he Lord of their lives? And I ask this question because part of the service that I do for those that have departed is a celebration. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about there's a time for mourning, there's a time for rejoicing. And so I point to that, and I say, this is a time for rejoicing because they've left this earth, and they're in a better place. They're with they're with Jesus, but I can't say that with good conscience unless I know that they knew Jesus as Lord of their lives. See, my Bible tells me that if they've made Jesus Lord of their lives, if they knew him that way, then when they leave this earth, they'll be in heaven with him. That doesn't make me their judge. That's just what our Bible says. And so I ask the question, and so if they say, well, they went to church or they knew God, then I said, but did they know Jesus? Was he Lord of their lives? And if that answer is no, I take that section out of, my, out of my service completely. But if they say yes, then we celebrate that in those services. And I do that because they, they say, well, they, they answer me when I say that. Well, they're in a better place. They're looking down on me, which i got to be really honest with you. This whole my loved one is in heaven and is looking down on me is like really creepy to me, right? Because there are several times during the day where I don't want my loved ones looking down on me. You know what I'm saying? So it's really, it's really just not a very settling or comforting thing to me, but people find comfort in that. And they say, they want, also want to believe that, that this idea of it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, kind of lends itself to the theology that, that all roads lead to God. That no matter what you do, you're going to wind up in heaven face to face with God. And that is true, but there will be a reckoning. There will be a day. It's called the day of judgment, where he says to the people that have chosen to follow Christ, enter into eternal rest, and to the other ones, not so much. <laughs> but people say, well, I don't believe that there is a God, a loving God, who would send people to hell. There's even popular preachers who are writing books that says, hey, love wins in the end, and since God is love, he wouldn't send people to hell, but that's simply not what Jesus said. God never said those things. So when people say it doesn't matter what you believe, you have to really begin to question that because it, it does matter. It, it really does matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you're sincere or not. There's no, there's no that, that, that is not, doesn't even settle across any religion. There's none of them that say it doesn't matter what you believe. But we've created this world. We've taken this and we've taken that and we've mixed them together. I sat with a woman who grew up, United Methodist, and, uh, and she's sitting there, and now, now it's because her, the man she wanted to be with was Hindu and had some uh, Indian influence. She wanted to join with him, and in order to do that, she had to make a compromise. So she goes to temple with him, but she also goes to church with her parents, and she's got this strange idea that she believes in Jesus, and he was a good man, but he wasn't necessarily Lord, and that she's going to be reincarnated. And I just sit there and shake my head like, how in the world do you keep up with all that? How do you reconcile that when you read the scriptures? I don't understand, but she says, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And she smiled. I think she was sincere about that. <laughs> Sincerely wrong, but sincere all the same. But God never said that. And what's funny is when we begin to talk about God, the idea of God, we get very little controversy about God in the first place, right? 
Like, you know, people, people don't have a problem, like, at the Grammys, when they get their Grammy, and they're like, man, I just want to thank God for this Grammy, you know, and, and or, or, you know, sports, or not sports, but, like, news, uh, radio, or any talk shows on TV, they can talk about spirituality all day long. They can talk about God, but when you get to Jesus, when you say the name Jesus, there becomes a separation. Somebody has a problem with it when you identify God with Jesus. And it's not that they want to necessarily debate his existence, although there are people that will debate the existence of Jesus on this earth. Many of them, though, will acknowledge Jesus was a man. He was here historically. He was here. He's a good guy. He lived and he died. End of story. They'll acknowledge his presence. In fact, a lot of people even love Jesus' teaching because, I mean, let's be honest, what's not to get on board with right here? You know, take care of the poor, feed the hungry. Uh, bless people, serve them, forgive them. Like, even if you hate Christianity, it's hard to hate the teachings of Jesus, isn't it? It's hard to. And so there's a lot of people that are even on board with him. But why? Why do they want to renounce Jesus? Why do they want to say, well, he wasn't Lord, though? Why do they have a problem when you identify Jesus as God? It comes down to one thing, I believe, and that's because of his exclusive claim. Jesus made a claim about himself that rendered every other religion and every other belief false. And here it is. It's found in John 14, 6. So he's talking to his disciples about going away to heaven. He's talking about preparing a place there. And his disciples were like, we don't even know how to go where you're going. How do we get there? And Jesus responds this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is it. This is the dividing line. Jesus says, if you're going to get to God, if you're going to get to heaven, there is no other way to do it. There's no other name named on this earth that will get you there except mine. Could you imagine being there? Like, this is a dude just standing in front of you, right? And yes, he does miracles, but he's still just a dude. I mean, that guy goes to the restroom, and he takes a nap, and he sleeps. Like, he eats food just like you do, and he's telling you, I'm the way. But he set himself apart from every other religion. No one gets to God except through me. No one. There's no other way there. And this is why people have a problem with Jesus. Because he doesn't say, well, I'm a way. I'm one of the many different ways. You know, you can side with me, or you can side with Buddha, or you can side with Hare Krishna, you can side with Confucius, or whatever it is you want to believe, and we'll all get to heaven and be there. He says, nope, I'm it. Right here, get in line. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to die on a cross, and you need to carry yours too. Let's go. (laughs) Right? But I would say that that as we look at at this this discussion, I think it's important that we also look at what other religions are offering, just to make it part of the discussion today. And I would say this, that as we talk through them, I want you to know that I, I do believe there is beauty. There is some beauty and some truth in all religions, but they're not the same. They're simply not the same. There are things that, that come from those different religions. There are phrases. There are ways that they carry themselves that are admirable. The devotions of a Muslim would embarrass you as a Christian. Their devotion to their God and to their way of living is embarrassing. There are some beautiful things in every single religion, but they are not the same. So let's look at them. Let's, let's look at a few of them. Buddhism. Buddhism is a, different, is a, a, a religion that has no God, 
and no final type of existence. Like when we die, we enter into eternity and we either spend eternity in heaven or hell. But with Buddhism, you're just reborn over and over again. There's this cycle, right? And the hope is that someday that cycle will end and you become one with the universe, right? Buddhist walks up to a hot dog stand and says, make me one with everything. Thank you. Oh. <clears throat> if you didn't get it, you'll get it in a little bit. Lean over and ask somebody. Hinduism. Hinduism is, is a religion that has an impersonal God. And how you approach those impersonal gods is through deities or statues. If you would find a Hindu and speak to them about Jesus, they would accept Jesus readily because he's got great teaching. And they would take Jesus and his cross and they would open up a little cabinet in their home and sit him next to the 20 or 30 other gods that they have in their cabinet. But when you tell them, no, 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 Jesus is Lord, you don't need these anymore, well, that's when they have a problem. The Buddhists and the Hindus, neither of their, their religions offer forgiveness, nor do they offer supernatural help. They have something they believe in called karma. We've heard, all heard of karma before. This karma says that if you do good things, then good things happen to you. If you do bad things, then bad things happen to you. It's karma, right? So if anything bad is happening in your life, they have to assume that somewhere down the road you did something bad. You had a bad thought or you did a bad action towards someone. If good things are happening, it's because you've been a good person. You see the problem with this? If you're a Muslim, you worship Allah. And Allah is just the Arabic word for God, but they have a very personal God. But their difference between what we believe and what a Muslim believes is that we believe in a father. God is father God to us. He loves us, right? But their, their God, Allah, is master and they are slave. This, the personal relationship is very, very different, and they are rewarded based on their devotion and their works. Their eternity is based on what they do here on this earth, how they live their lives, where they devoted, did they pray all the time? And of course, unlike Hinduism, there's a complete ban on idols or images of Allah. New Age is a very popular religion that is spreading around. This is not a very, there's no personal God here. This is all about this higher consciousness and being one with the cosmos and the universe. And then, of course, we come to Christianity. And these are just the major religions. There are so many more that are available. But Christianity is a very personal God with a father who loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to pay a penalty that you could not pay yourself. And he did this because he loves. He offers forgiveness his love is not based on your religious efforts or what you can do. It is just based on his goodness alone. He gives it to you because it's who he is. And so all world religions are not the same. Some have beauty and some have truth to them, but they are very, very different. So when someone says to you, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, knowing that all of them are very, very different down the road, you should probably be a little more objective and say, well, that, that can't really be true. When we look at our Bible, we find that it isn't true. But even outside of the Bible, to look at that and go, you know, that, that can't be possible. All of them have different ways. All of them are very, very different. Now, let me say this to you today. No matter where you're at or what you believe today, because I realize there are people in this room that are all over the map on their spiritual journey. Some of you haven't begun a journey with Christ yet. You're just here checking out his claims. You're just here to check it all out and see what it's like. Are they... Are they going to push me out because I look this way or smell that way? No, we may sit a little further away from you if you smell a certain way, but I'm just kidding. But you're, maybe you're here just checking things out. 
Maybe you grew up a specific way and you're not ready to let go of that yet. Others of you, you've just begun your relationship with Jesus and you're not really sure how to do it all yet, but you're trying your best and you're here learning as much as you can, allowing him to transform your life. There's others of you that are committed Christians. I realize that everybody's all over the map and what you believe in this room. So I want to let you know that I respect what you believe. And I would ask that you respect what I believe. But over the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to consider something for me. To set aside your beliefs, put away the clause for just a minute, if you're hesitant or resistant to Christ, and to consider something. It's not actually something I want you to consider someone. I want to ask you to consider Jesus. Now, what I'm not asking you to consider over the next few minutes is to consider Simple Church. I'm not asking you to do that. Because Simple Church, we are a church full of imperfect people that are pursuing a perfect God. We are a hot mess. That's just being honest with you. Every single one of us. We are. I'm not asking you to consider this church. I'm not asking you to consider a denomination or who we're affiliated with or connected with. I'm not asking that. I'm not even asking you to consider Christians themselves. I don't want you to do that because... To be perfectly honest with you, if you're just considering Christians, on any given day, you'll meet two different kinds of Christians, one that are loving and patient and kind, and then you can run into another one who's completely self-centered and bigoted and is, is, is rude and uh, narrow-minded and judgmental. And if you spend any time watching Christian television, you'll begin to believe that every single Christian has to have bad hair, which is just not the case. So <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying But I don't want you to look at any of this. I don't even want you to look at the religion of Christianity because Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to begin relationships with people. So I'm not even asking you to look at Christianity as a whole. What I'm asking you to look at is Jesus. Don't even look at my life. Don't consider my life. Because if you're considering me as to whether I'm the right size and I'm the right person to represent Christ. Look, if you keep looking at me long enough, if you spend any time with me outside of Sunday morning, you will find out that I am imperfect. And my wife and my staff and my kids would say amen. Because I am. You'll find that I'm flawed and I have issues and I'm broken just like you. So don't consider me. Consider Jesus. Consider him. And if you've, after you've considered Jesus, I would ask you then to make a decision about what it is that you believe in about eternity. So here's a few things that I'm asking you to consider about Jesus. The first thing is consider the ministry of Jesus, what he came to do, what he did while he was here on this earth. The ministry of Jesus is summed up beautifully here in Mark 2, 16 through 17. It says, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Boy, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? The religious leaders of the day are questioning Jesus' disciples, his followers, He said, why does he sit with sinners and tax collectors? Notice there are two different brackets there. Because there's sinners, there's people like you and me. We're just, we we have sinned, we've made mistakes. But then they've got these guys called the tax collectors. And they are like, here's the sinners and here's the tax collectors. They are way below the sinners. He's like, why are they sitting there eating with sinners? Why is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors? See, tax collectors were Jewish people who had sided with the Roman Empire and were 
taxing the people, obeying the Roman Empire and taxing the people. And when they would tax them, they would add a little bit on top of it and take it for themselves. And so the Jewish people felt like, hey, there's sinners, there's bad people in this world, and then there's tax collectors. You all are the bottom of the barrel. You are the dogs. And they're saying, Jesus, a rabbi, why is he sitting with those guys? And I love Jesus' response. He's like, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the people that were well off. I came for those that were rejected, those that were broken, those that were set aside and said, you're not worth anything. That's who Jesus came for. Consider the ministry of Jesus because he came for sinners like you and me. He came for those that were despised. Jesus loved and accepted them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when a woman who was caught in adultery, this is a married woman doing things with another guy that's not her husband. She's caught in the middle of it. And the religious leaders bring her to Jesus. And they throw her at his feet. And their law, according to their law, she was to be stoned to death. And they were trying to test Jesus. And they say, here's, here's a woman caught in adultery. What do we do with her? <laughs> Waiting on Jesus to respond. And Jesus is like a quirky dude sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Because his response to this is really weird. Here's what Jesus does. He's like finger painting in the sand. It's in your Bible. He is playing in the dirt. And he says to him while he's playing in the dirt, well, whoever has no sin can cast the first stone. And one by one, all those guys who brought her there, who was accusing her of her sin, disappeared. Jesus just drawn in the mud. I want to ask him what he was doing. Did he start spelling out their sins? Was he just drawing a happy face? Could they even see? Like, who knows what he was drawing? I want to ask him, what are you doing, dude? That's like the weirdest part of the Bible. <laughs> it's actually not the weirdest part, but it's definitely one of the most curious, right? For me, anyway. But he looks at her and says, where have your accusers gone? The people that said that you ought to be killed for your sin. She said, they've all left, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. This is Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is what he came to do, was to love people right where they are, love people right in their brokenness, to say, you know what? I accept you right where you're at. Just go and sin no more. This is Jesus. This is the ministry. Jesus continues and he does miracles. He opens blind eyes. The mute begin to speak. The lepers, people with skin diseases, get healed. And you know what's beautiful about that is because the lepers of the day were required by law if you came close to them. They were to scream out, unclean, unclean, so that you didn't come near them. Because if you came near a leper, you were likely to get their disease and then you would be stuck in the leper colony. Lepers hadn't seen their family, hadn't seen their friends, hadn't seen their kids or anybody, hadn't been touched by another human being for as long as they were labeled as unclean, as long as the priest said, you have this rash and this skin disease, you are a leper, you're untouchable. And Jesus shows up on the scene and not only does he heal a leper, which was wonderful, but he gives them something they needed even more. The Bible says that when Jesus encountered lepers, he touched them. He gave them something that they needed more than healing. You all know how good it feels to have somebody pat you on the back or touch your hand or just stand there with you shoulder to shoulder. Touch is a powerful thing. This is the ministry of Jesus. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He takes five fish or five loaves and two fish and feeds 5,000 men and 10,000 women and kids. 
This is Jesus. He raises the dead, runs into a woman who's just lost her kids. She's mourning. They're carrying the casket to the graveside. And Jesus, moved by compassion for the woman, raises the child to life. This is Jesus. Consider the ministry and the miracles of Jesus. This is what he did. And what's crazy is he's still doing it today. 2,000 years after his feet have left this earth, the miracles of Jesus are still happening. There are many miracles in this room today. I've seen miracles. I've laid hands on people and prayed for them. And when I say hand, I've, I've just prayed in Jesus' name, Lord, would you heal this kid? I met a woman this is back when we were in the funeral home, and it was after service, and I don't know why she didn't go back and get prayer during the message or during the, the worship service. I'm not sure. I don't care. She brings her kid to me, and she says, would you pray for my kid? She's been in a sling, and her arm's been tied up. We don't know what's going on with it. This is what we think it is. The doctors are still doing some tests, but she can't, she can't use her arm. Would you pray for her? Absolutely. I prayed in Jesus' name for God to heal that child, and there was no shaft of light, no angels that sang in that moment. They said thank you and they walked away and I got a phone call about 30 minutes later and the mom was on the other end of the phone and her voice was trembling and she's crying. She says, Aaron, thank you so much. She said, I want to tell you, this is just a voicemail. I was, I was still doing teardown, <laughs> tearing down the church so I didn't answer my phone. She said, I want to thank you because we walked out the doors of the church and we got to the car and we strapped her in. She pulled her arm out of that sling, and she started moving her arm around, and she said, all on her own, God's healed my kid. I just want to say thank you so much. I've seen miracle after miracle like that happen here in this church. There are many of you today that your marriage is a miracle of Jesus because you were separated. You were headed towards a divorce, or maybe you were living together, but you were absolutely miserable, and your relationship has changed, has been restored because of what Jesus has done in your life. Your marriage isn't perfect, but you're working on it, and you're allowing God to work in you and through you. That's a miracle to me, to see marriages restored, to see ones that were headed towards divorce court be turned back towards a loving relationship. There are many of you here in this room. There are many addicts here in this room today. I'm one of them, where God has completely turned my life around. And he's turned your life around. You've lost everything on your path through that addiction. You've lost everything. And yet, the moment you turn your life over to God, you may not have known how to do it, but you've been taken step by step by step. And God has changed your life. You've got a job back. You've got your family back. You may even have your kids back. God has restored you. And let me tell you something that is nothing short of a miracle that Jesus has been doing in your life. That's a miracle. He is still at work today. Your sobriety is a miracle. It's nothing to take lightly. For me personally, I'm, I know I'm a miracle. I know that God has made me brand new. Twelve years ago, if you'd have met me, here's who you'd have found. My first marriage had failed. Was filing bankruptcy. The car was repossessed. Wouldn't even answer my phone because it was just bill collectors on the other line. I had left my church I had turned my back on God. I was broken. I was bitter. I was addicted to pornography and I was living a lie. I was broken. I got married again and my marriage was headed towards the toilet as well. It took a moment though. It took a moment. It took a prayer. 
and God turned my life around. He turned me around completely, changed my heart, changed my life, and today I'm celebrating, well, we just celebrated last week, even though it was in June, 10 years of marriage. I'm not addicted to pornography. I have been completely changed. I'm not a better version of my old self. I am completely brand new because of the ministry and the miracle power of Jesus that is at work in my life. I'm made brand new. I'm a new creature. I'm a new person because of Christ. And so when I'm saying consider the ministry and the miracles of Jesus, this is what I mean. Consider those things because I'm a miracle. Then I ask you to consider the resurrection of Jesus. Look, it is very apparent through the scriptures and in my life and in many people's lives that God loves us, but the reality is that God hates sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's missing God's best for you. And he hates that sin, and so he decided, instead of punishing us for the sin, he would send his son who would make payment for us. He loved us so much, which is what John 3.16 says. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. He sent him here for us, for you and I, to pay that penalty, and he paid that penalty through his death. But Jesus didn't come and just die. The story did in there that would just make him a good man. Jesus was raised from the dead. And so I'm asking you to consider his resurrection. You say, how do you know that happened? Well, there were people there that saw it happen. There were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Because, see, Jesus went to a cross. He was brutally tortured and murdered. They thrust a spear through his side to make sure he was dead. And when they confirmed he was dead, they took him down off the cross. They wrapped him in burial clothes and they put him in a tomb. But three days later, three days later, that stone was rolled away by an angel and Jesus walked out of that tomb alive. And there were people who saw it happen. The soldiers that day saw it happen. And yet they went to the religious leaders. The religious leaders would have loved to have found a body, a dead body, because if he was dead, then Jesus wasn't the Messiah. But they could not find a body. And so they told the soldiers, here's what we do. We make up a story. You tell him that you were overcome by the disciples and that they knocked you out and stole his body and that's what you do and that's the story that spread abroad. But those disciples, they knew. The centurion who stood by Jesus' cross when he called out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then he said, the work that I've come to do is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he died, the centurion, the Roman centurion who stood there, who was not a disciple of Christ, said, surely this was the Son of God. There were witnesses to his death, but there were witnesses to his resurrection. Why is that important? Because these guys who had no stake in anything declared Jesus' resurrection to their very death. Peter called out and said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And they went out and declared Jesus' resurrection and all of them but one that we know of to their death. Even Thomas, doubting Thomas, who doubted that Jesus had rose from the dead, Jesus said, come on, Thomas, put your fingers in the holes in my hands. Put your hand in my side and see that it's me. And Thomas, Thomas became the great evangelist to India and won hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. 
And he went to his death declaring that Jesus was alive. Why would someone do that? What, what did they have to gain by declaring that Jesus was alive? Nothing but death. And Thomas was, had a spear run through him and was killed because of his belief. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. People want to push back and say that, the, well, the disciples stole his body. Have you read the story about the disciples? These are 11 uneducated guys. And you really think they hatched a master plan to take one guy and play out hundreds of years of prophecy? That these guys did that? Not likely. They had nothing to gain by it. Jesus must have really risen from the dead. So when I'm asking you to consider Jesus, I'm not asking you to consider Christians, the church, or me. We've got issues. What I'm asking you to do is to consider him. Consider his ministry because he came for sinners. Consider his resurrection because there were eyewitnesses that were willing to die because they saw him raised from the dead. And finally, consider the eternal message of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Isn't that good news? See, people want to make Christianity out to be Jesus plus something. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus going to church. They want to make your salvation out to be Jesus plus stopping all the bad stuff that you do. Stopping the bad thoughts that you have. Jesus plus this. Jesus plus going to church. Jesus plus being a member. Jesus plus tithing. Jesus plus this. When in actuality, the gospel says that it's Jesus plus nothing. You have to do nothing to receive God's gift of salvation and eternity in heaven. Nothing. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing you could give. Religion is all about what you can do. It's all about you. It's about your works. Religion is spelled D-O. Do. They put an obligation on you. You have to do this. You have to be here. You have to, have to, have to, have to. But Jesus didn't come to establish a religion and establish an order like that. He came to establish a relationship. And he's offering it for free to whoever. No matter what state of life you're in, no matter how dark your life is right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said about people or about God himself, it does not matter. It says whoever would place their trust in him. That's good news. In a moment, in an instant, your life can be transformed and changed. Religion says that if I obey, God will love me. But a relationship with Jesus says that because God loves me, I can obey. That's different. Religion puts obligation on you, but a relationship with Jesus gives you an opportunity to respond to his love. It's very different. It's very different than what we've been trained to think that it is. God doesn't love you because it's what he does. He loves you because it's who he is. Love is something that is inseparable from him. There's nothing you can do to have God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to have God love you less. The truth is, is that Jesus loves you. When you consider his eternal message, consider this. It is that Jesus loves you. It is that he stepped out of glory, out of heaven, considered 
being equals with God, nothing compared to what he was set out to do. Left heaven, was born in humble circumstances here on this earth. Born in a manger with, as a feeding trough. Put on an earth suit, a man suit. Walked this earth and was tempted in every way just like you and I were. Why? So that we could have a God that we could relate to. He gave up so much for us and then he lived his life to serve us. And in his death, he saved us. In his resurrection, he gave us the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God. And he sent his spirit to dwell in our hearts and lives to transform us, to change us. This is what his love accomplished for us. This is the message, the eternal message that he leaves. And the Bible says, whoever puts their faith in him will be saved. All things are made new. Nothing needs to be done. No ceremony needs to be held for you. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he meant it. It's done. The moment that you turn to him, when you put your faith in him, the old you passes away and a new one is born. That's why we call it being born again. You're not a better version of you. You're a brand new you. That's what Jesus offers us. Some of you say, you know, Aaron, this, this, that's a good message, but it's too good to be true. And I say it's too good to not be true. Because let's be honest, what man comes up with a God or creates a God who would lay down his own life for the people? What God does that? He died in our place. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you put your faith in him today, you become brand new. Not because you're good, but because our God is that good. Let's pray. First, I want to speak to all those of you in this room that are Christ followers. Today, as you've listened, maybe you can identify people in your life, family members, friends, coworkers. You would say, you know, they, Aaron, there, there's these people, and I've been praying for them, but they don't know Jesus. They may not even know what they believe, but Aaron, today today I want you to pray that they would come to know Jesus, that God would reveal his love to them, that they would be saved and born again. If that's your desire, if you know people in your heart and your life, would you help me identify who I'm praying for here? Would you just put your hand up and say, Aaron, I got people in my life. Would you pray for them, please? Just shoot your hand up now. There's hands all over this room. I appreciate that. Thank you. Father, I pray for every person that is represented here every lost heart in life. Lord, I pray that your light would shine in their life, Lord, that you would reveal your love to them, that they would come to know who you are and the gift that you have given us, the love you put on display in Jesus. I pray that you would save each and every individual that is represented here and every hand that was raised. Lord, give us the opportunity, Lord, to speak into their lives, to be a light that would lead them to you in whatever way that is needed. Help us, Lord. Do this work in Jesus' name. Now, there are others of you here today that you would say, Aaron, I'm far from God. Something you've asked me to consider Jesus, and as you've talked, something has sparked in my heart. 
and I'm ready to take that leap. Others of you, you're here today and nothing that I've said has made a difference. You're just being drawn by the Spirit of God right now in this moment. And you say, I'm ready to give my heart and my life to God. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea what the next step looks like, but I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to do it. And if that's you, it begins with a prayer. It begins with confessing Jesus as Lord and inviting him into your life. The Bible says, whoever, you are a whoever, and today is your moment, today is your time. If you'd like to take that opportunity and say, Aaron, I don't know how to pray the words, don't worry, I'm gonna give you the words. If you wanna be included on the prayer that I'm about to pray, would you let me know that you're here just by putting your hand in the air, do it now. Put your hand in the air, say, Aaron, count me in. Count me in, count me in. I'm ready, I'm ready to begin. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Is there anybody else? Maybe you're holding out, you're not sure. Say, Aaron, I, I don't know if I can live this life. You don't need to know how to do it all today. Just jump in. Is there anybody else right now that would say, I'm ready to give my heart and my life to Jesus? Shoot your hand up and do it now. We'll give you another moment. Thank you. I'm going to give you the words to pray. You can pray them out loud or you can pray them in your heart silently, but you need to mean them. So Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth, you died, and that you rose again on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, make me brand new. Give me your Holy Spirit and show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Take control. I need you. Amen.